Hello and welcome to So You Think Your Family's Bad, the podcast where we talk about how Greek mythology was made. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the labyrinth, King Minos and the Minotaur, anything to do with the second palatial period on the island of Crete. In order to fully understand the story of Minos, Minotaur, and the labyrinth, we have to have a little bit of background into Minos's parentage. So our first big character in this story is going to be Zeus. He has, he has a minor role inside this particular story, but I think it's really important to set up who this man is, who is this god. He was famous for being king of the gods, the god of the sky, the thunderbolts, all of this stuff. He's seen as this really powerful man in Greek culture. However, something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough, in my opinion, are what I'm going to call his sexual conquests. Sure, he was married to Hera, queen of the gods, matron, and goddess of marriage, but that didn't stop him from exploring other possibilities. One of his sexual conquests was a Phoenician princess named Europa. Zeus bought her from Phoenicia, and they began to have sexual relations. This relationship gave birth to three triplets by the names of Minos, Radamanthus, and Sarpedon. Now, Zeus had felt guilty for having this affair with Europa, so he broke it off. But in order to repay her, he arranged for Europa to marry the Cretan king, Asterion. As a thank you to Zeus, Asterion appointed Minos, Radamanthus, and Sarpedon to be his successors after his death. And after his death would come, they would co-govern over Crete. So came the day when King Asterion died, and the three brothers started to rule together in harmony. But eventually Minos wanted to rule singularly, so what did he do? He banished his brothers far away from the island. Rhadamanthus was sent to the Cyclades, and Sarpedon was sent to Asia Minor. So Minos was, while he was banishing his brothers and setting up his campaign to be the sovereign ruler of Crete, he was asking the gods, specifically Poseidon, for their blessing to his campaign to be the singular ruler of Crete. So keep in mind that Minos's father is Zeus, which makes Poseidon his uncle, who also happens to be the main deity of the people in which he wants to represent. In order to support their blessing to King Minos's rule, the gods blessed him with his wife Pasiphae. And just for a little bit of context here about Pasiphae, she is the daughter of a god herself. She is the daughter of the god Helios, who is the god of the sun. And Minos and Pasiphae eventually went on to have eight children. Um, two of these are important for this story I'm going to talk about. So the first um, is Androgeos. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I have no idea. And Ariadne. These two are pretty big characters inside of this story. So going back a little bit to how Minos was asking the gods for their blessing on his campaign to rule Crete. He asked Poseidon a favor to show his direct support. Poseidon is the god of the sea. They're on an island. This starts to make sense. Their whole world is based around the ocean. So he asks Poseidon, who is also known as the Earth Shaker. He's the god of earthquakes as well. Uh, he asks him to send him a white bull, a snow white perfect bull, as a sign of his support. As soon as 
Minos had asked for this bull, a great white bull, immediately walked out of the sea and onto the island. Taking this as a sign of support, the people immediately said, yes, Minos is our king. He has our God's uh, blessing. Everybody is for this. So we're just going to give him the crown and the title here. So King Minos was supposed to sacrifice this bull in honor of Poseidon to thank him for his tribute, to thank him for his support. But he was so encompassed by this beautiful bull that he couldn't sacrifice it. So what did he do instead? He called upon one of his own bulls from his own herd and sacrificed that bull instead. Now it was not nearly the same quality, the same beauty as this white bull. So Poseidon got a little pissed off. Poseidon then asks himself, how am I gonna get back at this man? Well, he cursed Pasiphae to fall in love with the bull. Now I know what you're thinking. How does this happen? How does this work? There's a little bit more context to that. How in the world did Pasiphae fulfill her romantic desires towards this bull? Well, she convinced the greatest architect known to Greek mythology, Daedalus, to create a wooden hollow cow that she could then climb inside of in order to mate with this bull. From this union, Pasiphae conceived and gave birth to a little boy that she named Asterius. However, people nowadays and people back then were much more familiar with the name King Minos gave him, Minotaur. But Minotaur could not be controlled by either of his parents or anybody else. And he was very, very hungry all the time, which normally wouldn't be a bad thing. But in this case, Minotaur was hungry for, let's just say, a specific type of meat. I'll just say it. He was hungry for people. Minotaur wanted to eat people. So in order to contain this problem, King Minos decided to call upon Daedalus again to build a contraption that would contain Minotaur to the end of his days, which was called the Labyrinth. Now a labyrinth, just for a little bit of context here, a labyrinth is a maze that only has one correct path through the maze. Normal mazes, you might have a, you might go down one path and you can go down another and you'll still get the same goal. You'll still reach the end. But a labyrinth, there's only one way. And they're so extremely complicated that it's hard to get through. But this labyrinth was built in, this, in, the, in the Cretan town of Knossos, which was where King Minos had his palace um, in order to contain the beast. So this is where our story takes a little bit of pause. We need to go back once again to another character I mentioned briefly earlier in order to kind of fill in the blanks of the rest of the story. Androgeus, King Minos and Pasiphae's firstborn son, was murdered by the city of Athens. It's not clear who killed Androgeus in the city of Athens, but all we do know is that the Greeks believed that the king 
there was in charge of an attack against Androgius. So being a town and a country, a nation formed on an island, King Minos used his naval skills and his military skills that were necessary for survival to attack the city of Athens on mainland due to their part in his murder. After a really long period of fighting, King Minos called on Zeus for help to aid him in this battle in order to avenge his son. And Zeus, who is King Minos's father, was immediately willing to help out this attempt. And he sent a great disease, kind of like a plague, to overtake the city that would just get worse and worse and worse. While the Athenians were distraught, they had no idea what was going on. They had no idea how to cure their sick. They had no idea what to do. So they went to the Oracle, the Oracle of Delphi, which we'll talk about in later episodes, for help. And the Oracle told them in order, that in order to live, in order to survive this attack, they needed to surrender and accept all of King Minos's terms of submission. These terms happened to include the taxation of the city to send seven young men and seven maidens every year to Crete. For King Minos, he had to feed his stepson, Minotaur. He had to figure out how to keep this boy alive in order to appease his wife, Pasiphae, who was so in love with her son. So he didn't want to feed his own people, which who we mentioned earlier, Minotaur favored. He didn't want to eat, send his own people into the labyrinth to get eaten. So what did he do with these 14 young people that were sent every year? He ordered them to be released in the labyrinth for Minotaur to hunt down and eat them. And this would supposedly keep Minotaur happy for the year. So Athens got fed up with this eventually. They were really upset that their sons and daughters were being sent to this island just to be killed by a beast that Minos could not control. So King Agus of Athens' successor, Theseus, who also happened to be a son of Poseidon, volunteered to be one of the 14 sent to Crete that year to be sacrificed. And he vowed to his father, to Poseidon, and to his people that he would end this suffering. Theseus sailed to Crete with the traditional black sails that um, people of that time would use. And he planned to sail home if he was successful with white sails in honor of the dead. Once on Crete, Theseus caught the attention of King Minos' daughter Ariadne, who we mentioned earlier. Ariadne secretly gave Theseus a sword and a ball of twine to attach to the opening of the labyrinth. Kill Minotaur, and then follow this string back to freedom out of the big maze. Theseus executes this plan perfectly and decides to sail home with the other tributes that were sent with him to Crete that did not die. But where did Ariadne get this string? She asked, who else? Daedalus, to make this contraption for her and Theseus so he could escape. Because of Daedalus's help to Ariadne and Theseus, King Minos threw him into the labyrinth with his son Icarus. Daedalus, who made the labyrinth, was able to successfully navigate it. 
King Minos knew this, so this is why he kind of fortified the, the labyrinth itself so that Daedalus could not get out. That's where this story kind of ends. So where in the world did the Greeks come up with this elaborate story? Well, we got to look into history, geography, and archaeology in order to answer that question. By looking at the artifacts found on Crete, archaeologists have been able to determine that the early inhabitants of the island originally built a small palace for an unknown ruler. Around 1720 BCE, an earthquake knocked down the first palace at Knossos. And the people who were currently living there, making Crete their home, built a second palace on top of the original one, using the foundations from that first one. And this marks what historians call the second palatial period for the island of Crete. And this, at this point, we can confirm that an actual monarch was using this palace. It wasn't no longer just like a co-governing society. It's now a fully official monarch. Ancient Greek historians have declared that this king was named Minos. However, Minos is assumed by historians to not have been just a single person, but it was likely used by several rulers on the island. Because the people lived on an island, they relied upon the seas for survival. This means that they would have been great naval men and been able to use the seas to their advantage. Their artifacts like pottery has been found on surrounding islands in the area along the banks of the Nile River, the Mediterranean coast, and traces of Minoan contact have also been found in Mesopotamia. So they must have come into contact with tradesmen from Mesopotamia along their ventures. And the reason why we know this is because in Mesopotamia we have found several depictions of one of their mytho mythological characters, Gilgamesh, fighting a bull that had a human head, which is the opposite of Minotaur, who was a man with a bull's head. And these artifacts have been recovered and dated to be between 1800 and 1500 BCE, which would have been the height of the Minoan Empire, named after King Minos. Minos's ability to demand human sacrifices from the mainland reflects, once again, their military power that the people of Crete would have had during the second palatial period. According to the library, which is a book written by an ancient Greek historian named Apollodorus, Minos was the first to obtain the dominion of the sea. He extended his rule over almost all the islands. Another way that we can confirm this is Minoan towns have been found on the islands of Milos, Kia, and Thera in the Mediterranean Sea. And archaeologists have been able to determine as well that these towns likely served as naval bases for the Minoans. In 1680 BCE, the Minoan Empire reached its peak. The Palace of Knossos was found by archaeologists, and inside of the palace there were wall paintings that depicted people wrestling bulls. These are found everywhere around the castle. It seemed to be a really big part of their culture, these bull wrestling tournaments, these bullfighting tournaments. In order to perform the wrestling, 
historians have been able to determine that the performers would have had to be young, athletic men who were prepared to die. One area of the palace that has been excavated, which has been dubbed the Bull Courts, was an arena that historically this wrestling, this these acts would have taken place. And these courts had various doors and stairs and corridors that would have mimicked the typical layout of what we would consider a labyrinth. Around 1628 BCE, geologists have been able to determine that earthquakes began to occur near the Manoa Island of Thera, which also happened to be volcanic island, by the way. So these earthquakes continued to grow worse and worse and worse and scared off the people of Thera. They were able to pack up all of their things, all their jewelry, all their precious items, and ship off to any of the other various islands around, uh, around them, likely Crete being one of the big ones. Eventually, the volcano began to spew lava, and the tremors on the island continued for roughly two years. Two years is a long period of time. It was enough time that the people of Crete would have been able to pray to their deities and perform human sacrifices in order to stave off the inevitable. Once the volcano erupted in June or July, which would have been right before the annual harvest, it destroyed the circular island of Thera into several broken pieces that seemed to be strewn across the sea to the west of Crete. Ash has been found strewn across the Minoan Empire, including on Crete, where majority of the empire's food would have been grown. And when the ash covered the harvest, the people would have gone hungry for several months, if not years. And this eruption was large enough to cause a tsunami that would have hurled straight for Crete about 25 minutes after the eruption. Archaeologists and historians have been able to determine that soon after this eruption, the prosperity of the Minoan civilization severely decreased, and then eventually it stopped. All of this shows that the Minoans were likely a powerhouse nation before their eventual demise. They supposedly had a king who pissed off his uncle in order to seize control over not only Crete itself, but also surrounding seas and nations. The myth itself acts as a warning for the ancient Greek people to not disrespect the gods. The second that Minos takes his throne and doesn't thank Poseidon for his blessing, his entire life went to shit. The Greeks also would have used this story as a reminder that angering the gods will bring about havoc to their homes. Natural disasters such as volcanoes and earthquakes may take out civilizations, but they are always caused by the gods' wrath. And that wraps up this first episode of So You Think Your Family's Bad. Next week, tune in to hear about the Oracle at Delphi and why people were tripping. <laughs>